So thank you for having me. I very much appreciate the venue, and this is my information. If you want to tweet along tonight, feel free to do so. Um, this is the title of the talk, and just to let some air out of the balloon, if you thought I was going to be some dick about conspiracy theories or conspiracy theorists, that's not really going to be the case. I mean the term um, losers in a descriptive rather than a pejorative way. Um, and I will get more into that later. Um, conspiracy theories are a fraught subject. So there are certain things I was told not to talk about by my mother. Um, she said religion and politics, and then after I moved out of the house, she became born again and worked for many political candidates and became a vocal member of the Christian Coalition and some other groups. So she broke both of her own rules I think a third subject should be added to that, and that is conspiracy theories are things that you probably shouldn't talk about in polite company because they often get people very upset. And there's a reason for that. In other words, they touch on things that we really care about. We care about power. We care about who has it. We care about what they do with it, and we care about what they do with it when we're not looking. So just having a, a discussion about those things brings our worldviews out. And sometimes evidence doesn't matter. Sometimes polite conversation gets tossed to the wayside. Um, but I would hope that that wouldn't be the case tonight. And I hope in general it's not the case. I think people should be able to share their views and just be nice to each other. Um, so no, no offense intended by the word loser. What I really mean by loser is someone who's on the outside um, of a mainstream debate or on the outside of the mainstream, or perhaps someone who just lost an election or a party who's out of power, but someone who's sort of outside the inside group. Now, let me just give you a few definitions that I'll use. So the first is conspiracy. Conspiracies are real. They happen. Uh, powerful people abuse their power far too often and with dreary, regula with dreary regularity, and it's very unfortunate. And it is very important that in democratic society we keep a very close eye on powerful people to encourage them um, to act honorably and to punish them when they do not. So conspiracies happen and I would not um, ever suggest otherwise. I guarantee there are some going on now. Um, Watergate makes a really good example. So a conspiracy, just to sum it up very, you know, very quickly, is when you have a small group of people who act in secret against the common good and for their own benefit. And in, um, in the parlance of this discussion, we're usually talking about things not like, oh, my wife and her lover tried to cuckold me. They were conspiring against me. We're talking about things a little bit bigger than that. And we're not talking about the two guys that conspired to rob the... Um, you know, the pret-a-manger down the road. We're talking about things that are a little bit bigger. So threats to security, threats to our baseline institutions, okay? Um, and many conspiracy theories might not necessarily be illegal per se. So whereas it is illegal to rob the pret-a-manger, it is not illegal to brainwash kids with communist Beatles music, okay, necessarily even though we think it should be illegal. So um, we know conspiracies happen because um, the relevant epistemological authorities tell us they do. You know, we caught people doing Watergate. We caught people in the cover-up. We caught people in the crime. People made admissions in open court. There were hearings. 
things were out in the open, we know what happened. And this has happened far too many times. Iran-Contra is another good example in the United States where they were trading hostages for drugs and weapons. And the Tuskegee experiments where they were injecting African-Americans and Guatemalans um, with syphilis into the eyeballs and backs and then not telling them for decades. So powerful people do do terrible things from time to time. Um, and then there are conspiracy theories. And conspiracy theories are those accounts which conflict with what the appropriate epistemological authorities tell us. So in this case, a conspiracy theory might talk about a past event, something might happen in the future, something that's going on now, and it might not even be an event so much as much as a circumstance. So just as we have conspiracy theories about the Kennedy assassination, we have conspiracy theories to explain income inequality. Okay. We also have conspiracy theories, just like we talk about things 53 years ago. There are people who believe that things are going to happen in the future. You know, there are some people in the United States who think they're going to take away our money and we're going to be using the Amero, which is the Canadian, Mexican, American money, and we're going to be forced to use Ameros. Hasn't happened yet, but they're waiting for it and they're ready. Um, the accused in conspiracy theories is always somebody who's deemed to be very powerful. So very rarely do we hear a conspiracy theory about, you know, the homeless guy with no arms and no legs out to get us. That person is never conspiring against us. And this is a very interesting fact because classical political theory tells us that powerful people shouldn't really be conspiring against us. You know why? Because they're powerful people. They can just do what they want with force. Right? It's the weak who need to conspire because they don't have power. So normally, if I was thinking about who's out to get me, it should be people who don't have force. It should be people who can only resort to fraud. But, you know, most of us, when we think about conspiracy theories, it's always worrying about some powerful group somewhere. Now, a lot of people throw um, many different things into the bucket of conspiracy theory. They throw in Bigfoot and aliens and ESP and all sorts of other stuff and then every different you know, monster that you saw in the X-Files during the 90s. And there are a lot of paranormal things, there are supernatural beliefs, but those are very different than conspiracy theories. Unless Bigfoot is working with his relatives to get us, um, it's not really a conspiracy theory unless Loch Ness Monster is trying to take over, you know, the UK or the US and institute a new world order. No, not a conspiracy theory, just a uh, a, a very interesting belief. Um, once you whittle away all the other stuff, what you're left with are a series of what are really political opinions. Because they are opinions that have to do with power, who has it, and what they're doing with it. So, how many Americans agree with different conspiracy theories? I think the most prominent one now is the JFK assassination. We get about 60%. Uh, 25 each for birther and truther theories, those are the ideas that Obama faked his birth certificate and that Bush blew up the Twin Towers. Roswell uh, right now comes in around 21% at the late 90s, uh, came in much higher than that. 20% um, think there were things about vaccines purposely being hidden. Fluoride is 9%, 6% is the moon landing. 5% uh, chemtrails. Um, so one thing to notice is that when people say conspiracy theory, often a few things come to mind. But often thing, the, the things that come to mind aren't often that popular. 
We often associate the moon landing conspiracy with being a conspiracy theory, but not that many people think the moon landing was faked. Um, about four people say that reptilians rule the world, and my country can't take responsibility for that. That's the UK. <laughs> That's your guys. Um, so policy issues. So this matters for our policy, our policy debate. So if you think that 9-11 was a hoax perpetrated by people who want to take away your rights, then when it comes to airport security or fighting foreign wars to deal with terrorism, you're going to be against it because to you it's a hoax. If you think that Mexicans are jumping the border to come and rape us and stab us, you're going to be against immigration. If you think that Monsanto is this evil corporation that wants to take over the island of Hawaii, you're not going to let them grow papayas down there. You know, taxes and inequality. Conspiracy theories come in, oh, it's the 1% who are trying to, you know, screw up everything for the rest of us. And they're, they're the ones setting the rules. Um, you know, Microsoft is watching everything we do. And that's probably true. Um, um, and, 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 and finally, I'll just mention the environment. If you think that communists want to take over the, you know, you know, want to take over the world, and the Marxian prediction that, you know, the working class was going to rise up just hasn't come true yet, hasn't come true fast enough, so the communists got together and said, well, fake this climate change thing. There you go. You have about 40% of Americans who say, no, that's fake. So conspiracy theories enter into all of these important policy issues. Um, and sometimes they enter in ways that, that they probably shouldn't and they have negative effects. Um, this came out in 2013. It got, about, it got about a half million shares on Facebook before it got debunked. Um, they were suggesting that in Africa during the Ebola scare, um, people were catching Ebola, dying, and then coming back from the grave as Ebola zombies destined to walk the earth in search of brains. As it turns out, this is not an Ebola zombie, it's an extra from a Brad Pitt movie about zombies. <laughs> but it spread half a million times because Americans love zombies for whatever reason. So that's not, those sorts of things aren't good. In Florida right now, we have a Zika crisis going on. Um, so we have a lot of homegrown Zika taking place now, and a lot of people think that um, Zika is some sort of hoax created by the government. In a recent national poll that I just did, we asked, we gave people a bunch of popular conspiracy theories off of Twitter about Zika. We said, which of these do you believe? And about 20% of respondents said they believed in one of them, but the four most popular were that genetically modified mosquitoes, the pharmaceutical companies, government, and vaccines had created Zika. And what's most Scary to me about this is that these are the four institutions that are going to have to combat Zika. These are the four cures for it. It's drug companies working with government to make vaccines and genetically modified mosquitoes. Um, um, we often see these cycles of conspiracy play out, um, sometimes in the short term, sometimes in longer term. In the year 2000, there was a very uh, tight election between Bush and Gore. It was decided by the Supreme Court. Uh, George W. Bush won. The Democrats were very angry. About half of them thought that the election was stolen from them, and almost an equal number thought that Bush was an illegitimate president. Does this sound familiar? Um, so because of that, they took action. They thought they had been conspired against. 
They took action, they did Herculean efforts to mobilize voters in 2004 and in 2008, and finally they won the presidency in 2008, at which point the Republicans said they conspired against us. They did all sorts of illegal voter mobilization. So when the Republicans got a bunch of governorships in 2010, what did they do? They restricted access to voting, so they made it more difficult to vote. So the Democrats said, no, now they're conspiring against us. So it's just been back and forth, policy combined with conspiracy accusations. This is a little more recent. Um, Trump's operatives started the idea that Hillary Clinton during the campaign was too sick to um, be president. So they said that she was, you know, um, that after the first debate, she had been taken off in a stretcher with an oxygen mask on. That was not true. Um, but anyway, she had to keep making the case, no, I'm, I'm healthy. And um, eventually she did pass out from catching the flu. And if you shake a million hands, you probably will catch the flu in September and October. She passes out, and then the conspiracy theorists in the Trump campaign jump on it and say, aha, we knew it. And the conspiracy went from she's sick to she's dead and has a body double. <laughs> and... Um, so, to combat this, she went on to the Jimmy Kimmel show, and just to show how young and virile she was, he gave her a pickle jar, and she opened the pickle jar on national TV to show that she was strong. The conspiracy theorists come out the next morning and say, the pickle jar was already opened. So, you, can't, you could not win this. So, no matter what happened, it was going to be there. We also see other examples where conspiracy theorists can motivate very bad behavior. Uh, Pizzagate was this idea that Hillary Clinton and other high-ranking Democratic officials were um, running a child sex trade out of a pizza shop and then burning the babies in the pizza oven. And um, so a person decided to get a loaded weapon and then go into the pizza shop and investigate with the loaded weapon. Luckily, no one was killed. But there are instances where people um, either get close to being killed or are killed. So in Minnesota, there was a guy named Sammy Muhammad who thought the Freemasons were out to get Muslims. So he, he purchased a uh, automatic machine gun from an FBI, an FBI informant. Um, he was going to go shoot everyone at the Freemason Temple. Luckily, he bought it from an FBI informant. Uh, the Snarnev brothers, who blew up um, uh, the Boston Marathon a few years ago, were 9-11 truthers. Robert Deere, who shot up the Planned Parenthood, um, had a metal roof installed on his shack and encouraged his neighbors to do so because the government were stealing his, his thoughts. Um, and Tim Timothy McVeigh believed that the government were stealing his rights, so he conspired to... Um, get the government back. Um, this is not to suggest that all conspiracy theorists are violent. They're not. If they were, then the streets would boil red with blood um, because everybody believes in at least one conspiracy theory. Everybody by that measure is a conspiracy theorist. We're all conspiracy theorists in one way or another. Um, but there are extreme manifestations that can lead to, to bad behavior. Um, so why, why do people believe in conspiracy theories at all? And there have been a lot of explanations put out in the past. That's Richard Hofstadter who wrote perhaps the first book um, on this. And the idea that he put out was that it's, you know, it's something of a psychopathology, that there's some sort of paranoia going on with these people. And it's just, I don't think that could be more wrong. Um, if 60% of Americans think that, 
you know, JFK was killed by a conspiracy, I wouldn't say that they're all psychopathology, psychopathological. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, so people who are anti-conspiracy theorists generally give the you're crazy or you're paranoid, and it's, it's, it's really not true, because the numbers are too big for, this, for believers to all be paranoid or crazy, and, and what study shows that they're just not. Um, conspiracy theorists, on the other hand, say, well, it's information and evidence, and I have the evidence. You know, um, but one thing that we find is that evidence is often in the eye of the beholder, and when you drill down into conspiracy theorist beliefs, what you find is it's not so much about a specific theory that they have, or a specific piece of evidence that's driving it. It's more that it's they just don't believe the official story. So there was a great study done on this by some scholars at University of Kent over here in the UK called the Dead and Alive Study, and what they found was that people who thought Osama bin Laden was still alive after the Navy SEALs had killed him, also thought he was dead before the Navy SEALs killed him. <laughs> People who believed that Princess Diana was still alive somewhere hiding out also believed that Princess Diana had been killed by the royal family. Um, Oftentimes you'll hear that this is just a cognitive shortcut. Big events, you know, people can't comprehend them so they want to come up with a, a big cause. No, not really. You know, if you ever hear somebody say, well, people try to come up with simple causes for complex events. If you look at conspiracy theories, oftentimes they're not simple explanations at all. They're often very complicated, right? And of course, complicated and simple are in the eyes of the beholder. Is it more complicated that 19 guys got box cutters and pulled off an incredible stunt than it is that the government set explosives on particular floors of the World Trade Center and no one saw them? Some people blame the internet, they blame anti-Semitism, social change, it's just conservatives, it's just extremists. The survey numbers suggest that both sides of the political aisle believe in conspiracy theories about equally, even though Democrats like to put their nose up at Republicans and call them conspiracy theorists. Both sides have shit that stink. So, you know, in, in what's been so funny for me um, this last year, not that I was hoping Trump would win, um, I wasn't, um, but it was very interesting to see people who had spent eight years calling Republicans a bunch of conspiracy nuts all of a, all of a sudden turn into a bunch of conspiracy nuts in the US. And I will explain why that's happened. So it's not just conservatives, it's not social change, because it's always social change going on in the world. And even moderates believe in conspiracy theories. So three questions I will answer for you. Uh, why do people believe in conspiracy theories? What do they do with them? What are they for? And then what is conspiracy theory politics? How do we see this manifest in American politics today? So my data comes from national surveys. Um, they also come from uh, letters to the editor of the New York Times and the Chicago, Chicago Tribune. I collected uh, about 150,000 letters to the editor um, over 120 years to see what people were writing in about. Um, I didn't read them all. I had my grad students read them all, and after they did, that's what they looked like. Um, and we picked out, out of the 150,000 or so, all the ones that mentioned a conspiracy theory and who was being accused of what and when. And I also have some data from the internet to talk about. So why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Does anyone see what's wrong with that picture? Okay, so I, I, I guess a bigger question that we could sort of pose here is why do people have any political opinion at all? 
You know, things are always going on, but we don't always experience them directly. So how do we come up with an opinion about, you know, some new government policy or something that's happening on the other side of the country? You know, so simple way to think about it is new information comes in, it's interpreted by a predisposition that we have that helps us interpret that information, and that is our new opinion. So a good example of this, at the end of the Obama administration, the final Obama jobs report comes out and it says, um, unemployment's holding steady at about 4.7%. Democrats looked at that number and said, wow, Obama, when you came in, the economy was in free fall, but now we're down to 4.7%. Thanks, Obama. Republicans looked at the same number and said, that number's probably faked, and there's a whole bunch of people that aren't being encountered in that number, and things are really worse than this number lets on. Thanks, Obama. So. Same information, two very different interpretations. So the information is really only doing half the work here. So as a political scientist, the most important predisposition I look at is partisanship. So parties in the US have become like tribes. There are groups. We feel a group attachment more than we feel an attachment to particular issues or anything else. We feel an attachment to the label. Um, so group belonging does strange things to people's minds. You know, it gives us a sense of uh, belonging and group, group belonging can make us feel upright and virtuous, even when there's really no reason that we should feel upright and virtuous. But group belonging does this to us and parties do this just as much as any other group does. So people like to think, well, my party's the party of good, the other party are bad. They're bad people and they're out to do bad things. And that's why we tend to accuse the other side of conspiring and rarely our side. So how does this play out in reality? Each side thinks the other side is out to get them and each side tends to listen to their own leaders, right? So Republicans listen to Republican leaders, Democrats listen to Democratic leaders and with a polarized media, Republicans back home can listen to Fox and Democrats can listen to CNN or MSNBC or as, as we should call it in the US, failing CNN and fake MSNBC. Um, and they follow their elites. And this comes out in a lot of strange ways. So people like to think that they hold issue positions because they thought through the issue, but we find that's total bullshit. Um, what we find instead is that people tend to follow whatever leaders tell them to follow. And um, let me give you three, three quick examples here. Um, Barack Obama wasn't always in favor of gay marriage. He was initially against it. In 2008, he changed his, he evolved. He said he evolved. Um, people were concerned that when he did evolve that he would lose supporters in the African-American community because that was the group that was most against gay marriage in the US. Instead, what happened was when he announced his position, African-Americans just changed their view on gay marriage. Um, there was an interesting study done during the, during the last election where they asked Trump supporters, they did an experiment on them. Some of them were told Trump wants to raise the minimum wage, some were told he wants to lower it, some were told he wants to keep it the same. In every condition, people agreed with whatever it was. But you would think Republicans would be either for keeping it the same or lowering it. But if they were told Trump wants to raise it, they said sure. So there wasn't really deep-seated views, it was I'll do whatever the elites say. In Florida, um, this is one that I'm pretty pissed about, um, but, they, but they've made up for it since. Um, former Governor Jeb Bush, um, he was paid off um, 
um, to come out against legalized medical marijuana. And it's a strange story because he was paid off by Sheldon Adelson, who's a billionaire casino mogul from Las Vegas. So the guy tra traffics in gambling, booze, and, you know, prostitution, and um, I guess he doesn't like pot. So he paid Jeb Bush to, to, put, to, to come out and do some commercials. So what was happening was in Florida, this initiative was going to pass with like 80%. And then the Republicans, Jeb Bush and some others, come out against it because they got paid off to do so. And then all of a sudden, Republicans pull back their support and the initiative doesn't pass. Um, two, uh, I think three years after that, it finally did. But it, it just shows that. When elites change their mind, the public follows. And my favorite example of that is this. A guy named Herman Cain ran for the Republican nomination for president in 2012. His previous um, work included being CEO of Godfather's Pizza. It just so happened during the time that he was running for the nomination that his former employer was doing a brand satisfaction survey um, over time. And what they found was that the more people got to know Herman Cain, and that he was a Republican, and that he used to run Godfather's Pizza, um, the more Republicans started to like Godfather's Pizza, and the less Democrats <laughs> liked Godfather's Pizza. Of course, it's the same pizza, whether you're Republican or Democrat, but this changed their mind about it. Um, so partisanship really matters, and it shapes how we view things. So partisanship leads people to specific partisan beliefs. So I want to apply that to conspiracy theories and suggest that there's this second predisposition that people also have. That is that conspiracy thinking, um, this stable disposition that we, each of us has to one level or another um, within us um, leads us to accept conspiracy beliefs. Um, so that's what I'm going to argue for the next few slides. So I'm getting virus protection here. It could be the government. <laughs> okay. Okay, so when I do surveys, I ask this three-question measure, and um, people can, can uh, agree to disagree along a five, um, five levels, from strongly agree to strongly disagree. Um, so we want to get to this underlying view. So we don't want to know if they believe in specific conspiracy theories here. We just want to know if they have this worldview that would be accepting of conspiratorial thought. So we give them three statements. Much of our lives are being controlled by plots hatched in secret places. Um, a few people always run things anyway, even though we live in a democracy, and the people who really run the country aren't known to us. So it gets to this idea of secrecy. Um, people are controlling us, and they probably don't have good, you know, good purposes in mind. And that's, this is what the data looks like. So Americans tend to be somewhere in the agree category. Um, and each of us would agree to some extent to, with each of those statements, but the important point is that um, there's variation among people. And what we do is we combine the answers to those questions into one score for each person. And what that score does very well is it predicts how many groups each person thinks is out to get them. So if you're at the high end of the scale, um, we gave you a list of groups you could pick from. They picked about five groups that were out to get them. Um, I mean, that's like, don't leave the house in the morning. Um, people at the low end of the scale usually thought one group was out to get them. Um, this, this scale predicted trust in government, trust in the media, and belief in election fraud. So it's a pretty good measure to capture people's willingness to, to think in this way. 
So if we compare this measure to demographics, what we find is this. You know, if you were to close your eyes and say, who's that conspiracy theorist look like? Um, the popular character would be white, male, middle-aged, conservative. It's me. Um, I see a few of you in the audience. Um, so you would immediately say, oh my god, it's these, these types. Um, somebody living in their mother's basement. But conspiracy theories are much more equal opportunity and what we find is that it looks more like, you know, they cut across gender, race, age, party, and ideology. So Jenny McCarthy, there, there's a very famous show for women in the U.S. called The View, and it's all women hosts, been going on for 20 some odd years. Jenny McCarthy was on the show, she's an anti-vaxxer, Whoopi Goldberg thinks the moon landing was faked, and Rosie O'Donnell thinks that jet fuel can't melt steel. So women are into it too, liberals are into it too, um, so there's no clear um, demographic group. The better predictors are education and and income. So those who tend to make more money tend to be less into conspiracy theories. That's on average, so Trump is an outlier there. Um, those, those who tend to be, yeah, those who are more educated tend to be uh, less into conspiracy theories. And we're not exactly sure why that is, if the education makes them less conspiratorial or if education systems tend to weed out conspiracy theorists from, from getting higher, higher degrees. Um, other characteristics, so politically, those high on this scale are less likely to register to vote, less likely to vote, less likely to put up yard signs, to volunteer. Um, they are more likely to join third parties or be independents. And that makes sense. If you think that there are forces out there to get you, you're not going to join these mainstream groups and you're certainly not going to invest time or money into politics. Economically, the conspiracy theorists are different than the non-conspiracy theorists, less likely to buy stocks. If you think the system is rigged, you keep your money under your bed. Um, they make less money. They tend to have different jobs. And this frightened me a little bit, but the, the groups, the, the occupations that are the least conspiratorial in their thinking are the military, government, big financial institutions. <laughs> and you would think, I mean, those are the groups that are most often accused of conspiring, but, really, but oddly, they don't believe in very many conspiracy theories, either because they're pulling them off or because they look around and they're like, there's no fucking way these people around me could pull off anything and not get caught. <laughs> I don't know the reason, but that's how it looks. Those who tend to be most in cons into conspiracy theories, um, medical profession. So I, you know, as I was working on my book, I had to go to the dentist a lot, and I was proofreading, and he was very happy to tell me everything he believed in, which is a little bit uncomfortable when you have a drill in your mouth. <laughs> and another thing I found on this side of the pond is that taxi drivers love, <laughs> love conspiracy theories. Um, and in terms of violence, when we ask people about their views on violence, the good thing we find is that the vast, vast majority of Americans detest violence, and there's very little political violence in the U.S. I mean, of all violence that takes place, political violence is a very small, very small percentage of it, and most of it is not conspiracy-driven, even though a tiny bit is. But we do find that um, when we ask conspiracy theorists, you know, do you think that it's okay to do violence against the government under certain circumstances, they're slightly more likely to say yes. If you flip the question and say, do you think it's okay to do violence against extremist groups, that flips back because conspiracy theorists are fairly rational people and they often consider themselves to be outside 
extremist people. Maybe not see themselves as extremists, but they can tell that other people see them as extremists, so they don't support violence against extremist groups. So the conspiracy theories that people believe in is generally driven by partisanship. So um, Democrats in the blue there think that corporations and conservatives are out to get them. In the red, Republicans think that liberals and communists are out to get them. So both sides pointing finger at the other side. Um, two good examples of this are the birther and the truther theories. Um, so you get perfect symmetry right there. Democrats believe in, in the truther theories and Republicans believe in the birther theories. Independents are split between both. There's a good word for independents and that's liars. Um, if you look at how independents act, about 90% of them are not independents. They're just closet partisans in the US. So they think it's cool to say independent. Um, so one way to think about this is, is a two-dimensional space where you have Democrat all the way going to Republican and then you add in a second dimension which is people who are really into conspiracy thinking and people who are more resistant to it. So you get about 25% of the population that will buy into the birther theory, so high, you know, conspiracy-minded Republicans and then 25% will believe in the truther theory and that is the conspiracy-minded Democrats. So there's good and bad news here, right? Partisan conspiracy theories are limited in their reach because they're not going to convince the other party. And they're not going to convince people who are resistant to conspiracy theories. So they get limited there. Um, so the good news is that 75% of the country won't buy into either of these theories. They max out at 25%. The bad news is that 50% believes in either. Um, but wait, you say, what about that Kennedy theory where you have 60% buying into it? You have, you know, generally just slightly over, um, slightly over majorities. And this, this, this sort of funny, funny thing here sort of sums it up. When they do polling on Kennedy, they don't ask a specific question. They ask a very non-specific question. They say, do you think there was a conspiracy or a cover-up? And you get a lot of people saying yes. And the reason is because everybody has their own little pet conspiracy theory. Even Oliver Stone, who's got this all mapped out, I mean, he thinks everybody did it. I mean, everybody did it. You have pet defrocked pedophile priests, the CIA, the homosexual underground in New Orleans, the media, the military, the CIA, everybody did it. And, um, you know, so, so, once you drill down into that 60% number, what you find is that 5% say this, 6% say that. So there's no big agreement in there other than something fishy happened. So this works beyond um, um, party identification too. So the Da Vinci Code, this idea that um, Jesus fathered children with a prostitute and those children went on to become the kings of France. Um, if you are um, into New Age mythology, you're going to be like, yeah, that sounds cool. This matches with my New Age thinking. But if you're that person, <laughs> you're not going to buy into the idea that Jesus was you know, having a bunch of kids. So um, it also works to um, I'm from, I'm from New England, and our, our football team there is the Patriots, and they had a big, a big thing going on for a while called Deflategate, where the quarterback of the team, Tom Brady, they said he had deflated the balls during an important game to make them easier to throw. And this was, had played, it went to court, 
um, to several stages of court and played out over a number of years. And they found that the people who believed that Brady and the Patriots conspired to rig the games with deflated balls um, were all, you know, not from New England. They hated the Patriots. And the people who believed that Tom Brady was perfectly innocent were all Patriots fans. So it's these predispositions that drive how we interpret the available evidence. Um, so what about the internet? You cannot read an article about about um, conspiracy theories without them blaming it on the internet. And it's sort of, you know, just like every new communication technology, its influence is very much overblown and people are very fearful of it. Even still, and it's been two decades. Um, but there's no evidence that belief in conspiracy theories has really increased since the mid-1990s when the, when the internet rolled out. And Kennedy conspiracy theories make a very good example of this, and so do Roswell conspiracy theories. Both have come down significantly since the internet. You would expect that they would have gone up, but they've both come down. Kennedy by about 30 percentage points. So he was in the 80s, back in the late 90s. And there's a good CNN poll that shows, you know, 75, 80% believe that the military was hiding evidence of extraterrestrial life at Roswell. The end of the 90s, like 75, 80%, now around 20%. So the internet has not shot these things up. Um, tons of conspiracy theories pop up on the internet. Most of them die in the vine. They'll exist for a day or two and then they're gone, right? We tend to remember the most important, um, but so many come and they go, um, but we don't see them, so we don't think about them. The websites that are dedicated to conspiracy theories are not highly trafficked compared to non-conspiracy websites. The New York Times and other mainstream news sources are very high, uh, highly ranked in the US, top 20. Um, if you go down the ratings, you're going to go through 300 porn sites before you will get to Infowars, which is probably <laughs> the highest rated um, conspiracy site. So people are going on the internet to do all sorts of stuff before they go there to get conspiracy theories. So it's not really the internet that's driving it. Um, one thing the internet has done that people tend to discount is that people can get authoritative information now. If you want to hear from a doctor, you can go right to the internet and hear what the doctors say. If you want to hear what, um, what uh, diplomats, what experts say, you can get that right there. You, you don't have to rely on village wisdom anymore. The internet has supplanted that. When I was a kid, I would get a sunburn, my grandmother would rub butter on me. Don't do that. <laughs> now you can Google, what should I do for a sunburn? And the first thing that comes up is says, don't put butter on it. <laughs> if only my grandmother had had the internet. Um, so the bottom line is that our, our viewpoints still filter what we seek out, and it still filters what we believe. So if we don't like conspiracy theories, we're not going to look for them. Um, and, and even if they come across our desks, um, if we don't want to believe in them, we won't. You know, and just because something's on the internet doesn't believe anyone cares or anyone's looking. I googled duck confit recipe tonight, and just before I came here I got about three quarters of a million hits. That's a lot of duck confit recipes, but no one's cooking duck confit tonight at home. All right, so just because it's there doesn't mean a thing. So, largely, elites still drive beliefs, you know? So if you want to know what's driving it, it's really elites that, 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 that do this. Um, so, when you read something by journalists about the effect of the internet, they're often, even though they won't say it directly, they're often sort of implying that there's this hurting effect, that 
Um, somebody will put a conspiracy theory on the internet and then everyone will see it and it'll just spread like wildfire and then everyone becomes a conspiracy theorist and they all adopt this particular theory. And it's just really not the case. You can find that behavior in other sets of beliefs and I'll show you one example. And I use Google Trends here. Um, so this tracks people Googling stuff over time. So here we're looking for mindfulness, which is sort of a dubious idea, but not conspiratorial and not partisan in any way. So it's something anyone could get into mindfulness. Um, another example of this would be colon cleanse, sort of a not mainstream, sort of weird idea that people got into the US. Um, but for mindfulness, it looks sort of like this. You see the hurting behavior over time, that more and more people get into this thing. Oh, mindfulness, sounds good, I'll try it and it sort of balloons. It's just like you walk down a street and there's two restaurants. One has a lot of people, the other one has no line. Where do you eat? You might say, I'll avoid the line, but then you're thinking, even though I don't know either restaurant and I don't know any of the people in line, I might trust their wisdom because this empty restaurant probably sucks. So um, when we look at conspiracy theories, we don't get hurting behavior because people filter what they look for and what they are interested in. So for Obama's birth certificate, for example, you get spikes. And these spikes only pop up when you have elites talking about it. Um, so in 2008, you had you know, people talking about it during the election, particularly Republican conspiracy elites. Um, in 2011, that big spike is Donald Trump. If I was to draw this out a few more months, you'd see another big spike with Trump and, and Hillary Clinton talking about it. Um, Trump, of course, said he never spread this theory. Uh, he did. <laughs> um, so most of this is really just, you know, elite driven. So what are conspiracy theories for? Um, I mentioned my letters to the editor. So if we look over time, this is who gets accused of conspiring um, during the last 120 or so years. Americans love to accuse foreigners, so it was a good strategy for Donald Trump to accuse a lot of foreigners of conspiring against the U.S. because historically we're happy, happy to think that foreigners are out to get us. Um, in terms of partisan groups like the right and capitalists and the left and communists, I mean, you stack those two together and you get a pretty high amount. People who just think the government is out to get them, um, regardless of party, um, it doesn't it's not really quite as much as the number of people who are worried about government and economics when it's the other side that has control. So if you look over time, what you find is this. Um, when a Republican is president, um, Democrats become the conspiracy theorists and the accusations center on um, the right and the wealthy and the capitalists and big industry. When a Democrat's President, all the conspiracy theorists come from Republicans and they focus on Democrats, socialists, and communists. So it flips over time and we've seen this. So when George W. Bush was president, everyone was freaking out about Dick Cheney and Blackwater and Halliburton and War for Oil and 9-11 and all of a sudden Obama gets elected and no one cared. All those ideas became socially sterile and then it was Obama's birth certificate and Obama blew up the Deepwater Horizon well and he killed the kids at Sandy Hook and now Obama's gone, it's Russia, you know. So it changes over time but the ones that are resonant at any given time follow who's in power because these are about power and they resonate most when the person you're accusing actually seems to be or is in power. 
Also, they resonate under threat when there's a world war going on or during the Cold War, the US was more likely to accuse foreign adversaries of being out to get us. Um, when we're not in a real war or in the Cold War, we're less likely to be concerned about foreigners. So conspiracy theories in that sense can sort of act like a bellwether of fear. They tell us what we're afraid of. You know, no one was really afraid of Iraq or Vietnam or Afghanistan or Korea, right? But they were afraid of Russia during the Cold War. They were afraid of what was going on in World War I and World War II. So the government can't convince people of what to be afraid of. Um, so how does this play out with voting and electoral fraud? So um, I've got data from both 2012 and 2016. So before the election, both parties were freaking out. Oh my God, there's going to be fraud. So we asked them, you know, will the outcome be determined by fraud? Equal numbers of both parties say yes. Obama wins. And we say, was the outcome um, um, affected by fraud? Only Republicans, because they lost. And um, did we just skip over one? The type of fraud that people believe in um, varies by party. So if you're a Republican, you think that people who aren't supposed to vote will vote. And if you're a Democrat, you think people who should vote will be stopped from voting. So Democrats believe in suppression and intimidation. And uh, Republicans think that people are voting with false IDs. When we ask uh, Democrats um, and Republicans, um, so for instance, if we ask Republicans, was, was 2000, um, did Obama cheat in 2012 using ACORN? 36% said yes, even though the group ACORN didn't even exist anymore. Um, when we asked you know, Democrats, did, did Republicans cheat in Ohio in 2004? An almost equal number said yes. So they both think the other side is cheating in an equal numbers. 2016, almost equal numbers thought there was fraud going to happen. And the Democrat number would have been higher, except for the fact that Democratic elites were saying, in response to Trump, who was saying fraud was going to happen, Democratic elites kept saying, no, fraud won't happen. Fraud does not happen. So you have more Republicans believing in it than Democrats. But after the election, um, Democrats come down just a little bit. They do come back afterwards. Um, but Republicans come down quite a bit. And then polls subsequent to this show that 50% of Democrats think that Russians working with Trump hacked the voting machines. And there's no evidence to suggest that any voting machines were hacked. Um, Paul Krugman, who's a um, Nobel award-winning um, New York Times economist and, and columnist. 2006, when Bush was, was uh, in office, Krugman's a, a, a very big liberal, he said, those who are calling us conspiracy theorists, well, they're bullies, because conspiracy theories are good. And then when Obama was president, conspiracy theories are supported by people on the right, but not on the left. They're all kooks, that side. And then Trump wins, and a faction of our security sector working with Putin through the election for us. So he is an example of this perfectly, and it would be better if he knew it. Um, so accusing the right right now of conspiring is okay, because Trump's in power. So when there was, a, there was a recount effort, and they raised, I think, $8 million to recount some votes, um, wasn't a big deal. You know, they were alleging fraud. The Democrats were alleging fraud, and that was fine. When Trump said, no, I won correctly, but there were still three million votes that were cast by illegals, everyone said, he's destroying the system. 
because powerful people can't accuse the losers of conspiring. It can only go the other way. Um, this I followed with some polls a little bit. If you polled, um, if you polled Leave voters right before the Brexit vote, um, most thought that the EU was hiding further signs of integration. And if you go back just a few years, you find that 52% of people in the UK believe that the EU was hiding further plans of integration. And it's just so funny, it's 52% was the, was the vote. So this could have been seen coming a long ways away. There was conspiracy thinking driving this. Um, and if you remember too, you know, this, you know, vote in pen, not pencil, because they'll erase it. So, so conspiracy theory politics. Um, Trump, these are his conspiracy theories. You could see them there. They just go on and on. The birth certificate, the college transcripts, foreigners, the FBI, 9-11, Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK. <laughs> They're all funny, but if you boil them down to one thing, what it is is one conspiracy theory that says, our elites have sold us out to foreign interests. That was it. And if you go to this guy here, his conspiracy theories was really one conspiracy theory, but it's everything's rigged by the 1%. They control everything, right? So both of them got 40% of their respective parties. He lost because he was up against one mainstream candidate. Trump won because there were like 302 other uh, Republican candidates. Um, so the, the, the other vote was div divided. The establishments of both parties do have their conspiracy theories. You know, the Republican establishment tried to say that Trump was a plant put forward by the Clintons to distract them. Um, who knows? Just like H. Ross Perot came out in 1992 and lost the election for George H.W. Bush. Um, in 1998, when Bill Clinton was having all of his troubles because he had done some weird things while in office, um, um, she came out and said, he's the victim of a vast right-wing conspiracy. It's not really his bad behavior. It's a conspiracy. And it became a coffee mug. It was a joke. Because nobody believes that the most powerful man in the world is a victim of shadowy forces. So we don't believe it when the winners propagate them. So, why use them? So sometimes, is it, is it just about believing the conspiracy theory or is there something going on deeper that sort of drives um, this talk? Because if you think about some of the ones that have come up lately, like Pizzagate, they're just sort of zany. So imagine you have a bunch of people around the water cooler. These are nice, respectable people. And, but, but maybe they have some really far out ideas that aren't socially acceptable but they want to find each other because they want to take part in collective action. They want to find each other so they can support their favorite candidate or, or get their issue ideas out there. You can't really come out and say, I hate blacks and don't want them to be president. That's not going to go over well at this water cooler, right? Well, maybe at that water cooler. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know. But, you can't say that because people are like, it's, you're, you're a racist and that's not socially acceptable. But you might say, oh, I, I don't know about this birth certificate thing. And that sort of sends a signal that there might be something underlying that, but you can, you can pick each other out. It's, it's not that bad to say, I'm, I had some, I'm just asking questions about the birth certificate. Right? So conspiracy theories are sort of like costly signals. So you can imagine, like, if you're going to join a gang, they make you get these tattoos all over your face and neck because there's a cost there. You're signifying, I'm into this enough 
that I'm willing to bear some cost of this. So there's a cost to sharing conspiracy theories. You'll think I'm kooky and zany, if, even though you won't know the full extent of my beliefs. So to join the gang, you get these tattoos. He'll never get a job anywhere else, right? But he's signifying with these tattoos, he's a gangster for life, right? And this happens in a lot of ways. If you want to join the Italian mafia, now they make you kill someone first. That's a pretty costly signal to get in, right? Um, there were some cults and radical political movements where if you wanted to join, just to make sure you weren't an FBI agent, they'd make you share, the, share your wife with other members of the group. Pretty costly signal to join, right? It's going to exclude anyone who isn't totally in. So that's the same as that. I mean, you wouldn't see. <laughs> so. So when we ask ourselves, why was it the case that Trump was, you know, sharing these zany conspiracy theories, what were they doing for him? Why even say that Ted Cruz's dad killed JFK? Um, it's a signal. That I, it's a signal of these other ideologies that are underlying there that kind of bring conspiracy theorists together. Interestingly enough, in most election campaigns, conspiracy theorists are largely ignored because they're less likely to vote. And part of that maybe because people did go after their votes, so there could be a, a vicious cycle going on there. But Trump and Bernie went after them. They said, I'm going to give you these conspiracy theories, and people latched on, the ones who, who thought in that way. So he was able to mobilize these groups, and the results of the election show this. He was able to mobilize a lot of voters who had never voted before. And he was able to get them onto his team by doing this, by practicing this kind of politics. So Bernie on the other side, um, like I said, lost. And it was a very interesting story where people thought it was rigged against him and then it actually looked like it had been rigged against him. And now Hillary is mad that people found out that it had been rigged against him. Um, and they're saying that that was rigged against her. <laughs> so it just, it doesn't end. and. So that was our election result. Everybody was shocked over there. And you can imagine for a moment a world where there's no conspiracy theorists. And it might seem at first like a really good, uh, no conspiracy theories or conspiracy theorists. It might at first seem like a nice world where everyone believes the right stuff. But if you dig a little bit deeper, what you really find is that conspiracy theories can sometimes be a very good expression of what we're afraid of, um, who we fear the most, who we are as people and what we want to see in the world. And sometimes we need to sort of have a little bit of sympathy for these ideas, um, but also acknowledge that there is a negative side of the ledger too. So just as conspiracy theories seek to offer simple answers sometime, banning them or shoving them aside um, would also be a, a simple answer and a very wrong one. Um, so um, that's where I live. Um, and that's the end of my talk, and I'm happy to take questions later. Thank you, Joe. So, um, we can take a five-minute comfort break, and we can come back for questions. Just for you to consider, there's a lot of people in this room. A lot of them may have questions, and we've only got a little bit of time. So, if you, if you are going to ask a question, please make sure it's concise. And questions are a way of getting information from someone. Really not short lectures with do you agree at the end. 
is not a question and you will be rugby tackled. I have people <laughs> from Scotland hidden in the audience to deal with anyone who does that. So uh, see you in five minutes, okay? Yep, great. Okay. So, yeah, got to watch out. I'm a person with a loud voice with a microphone. You've got to watch out for that. Um, bearing in mind about there's a lot of people, they all want to ask questions. Um, who has a brief, a concise question or a brief comment for Joe? Okay. Okay, oh, this guy had his hand up first. You, can you catch? Black bit. Now you've got to talk into it. I've got to talk it. Okay, cool. I thought it had like a squeeze. It's, it's a microphone. It's a talking. Okay. It's not a talking stick. Like, got it. Got it now. This isn't yeah, so concise, yeah. is it? Um, is there anything around? I think a sort of um, religion as conspiracy theory. People sort of, obviously, people that don't believe in God or religion, but other people saying actually it is a giant conspiracy theory to control the population. Um, a lot of people do believe that religion is a ploy to control the population, and um, but obviously people who believe in religion don't believe that, right? And religion will often determine what conspiracy theories we believe in. So Catholics have their own conspiracy theories, non-Catholics have their conspiracy theories. If you go to Poland right now, Catholics are getting very ginned up on conspiracy theories, where they think that the, that the women's studies departments in the universities are out to get them and they're, doing, they're, they're trying to control the, the, the entire country. But you find that anywhere. It's, you know, religion is one of those things like party that's ingrained in us when we're young, and, um, and we keep it for most of our lives. Um, so that will determine what we choose to believe and what we don't. Okay, so yeah, I see you've got notes. Just please remember <laughs> yeah. we, are, we are being concise. Well, I, uh, I'm a a conspiracy theorist uh, in, in deep. <laughs> but uh, you said at the summary uh, that conspiracy theorists were uh, for the outside, outside the mainstream, quite right. Um, but then you admitted that uh, mainstream politicians like Bush and, sorry, uh, Trump and um, Clinton uh, believed conspiracy theories about the other side. Um, so, are you a conspiracy theorist about conspiracy theorists? <laughs> and uh, are you like uh, the mainstream media trying to denigrate conspiracy theorists? The answer, I'll take the last question first, and the answer is no. Um, you know, despite the title of the talk, which could be taken the wrong way, um, I will often defend conspiracy theorists because there, a lot of times I will focus on the negative side of the ledger, but there is a very positive side to it. And there are certain times where I do come out in favor of conspiracy theories for a particular number of reasons. And I'll just give you, give you some historical examples. We know what Richard Nixon did because of two young cheeky conspiracy theorists who followed a conspiracy theory and took down a sitting president. If they hadn't done that, Nixon would have been allowed to continue with his tricks. Um, we know more about 9-11 today because of conspiracy theorists. We know more about um, the Kennedy assassination today because of conspiracy theorists. When mainstream accounts get things wrong, oftentimes conspiracy theorists will step in, push for more information, and then we'll get things correct. So there is, there is value there. 
But I think, you know, just because you're a conspiracy theorist doesn't make you right all the time about every conspiracy theory. You'll be right some of the time. Just like people who, are, who reject conspiracy theories, they will be right some of the time too, but their predispositions will lead them to be wrong. Like Barack Obama did some bad things that should be considered conspiracies. But his supporters will never accept that. And same thing on the other side too. Uh, thank you very much for a very interesting talk. <coughs> Just um, interested in one thing, um, the whole Bertha thing, um, when Obama almost seemed reluctantly at the end came out with the birth certificate, that seemed quite unique because normally my perception is that um, people in power don't want to acknowledge it. So was that unique or are there other cases where people have, or authorities have been compelled to respond to a conspiracy theory? Um, policymakers often have to respond to conspiracy theories. And sometimes they make policy based on conspiracy theories. So 9-11 Commission is another example. I mean, you had a lot of people asking a lot of questions. Some of them were con pushing conspiracy theories about 9-11, so you get the 9-11 Commission. So it, it happens when you have um, conspiracy theorists singing in a singular voice, pushing for something. Um, you'll get it in other areas too, like the idea of GMO foods um, comes up in the US. And the only people who really talk about it are people who um, think they're bad, and generally because they think Monsanto is plotting something against them. But they, those people are able to affect debates and able to affect policy, so. Um, I'm curious about, uh conspiracy theories in the mainstream media. You talked a little about the, the internet not being quite the influence we might think it is. Um, what do you think about what seems to be an increasing amount of space given to conspiracy theories in mainstream press, mainstream media? So there's, there's two different things going on right now. One is that elites, both our politicians and our media elites are paying more attention to them. It doesn't necessarily mean that more people are believing them than before. But the media has to cover it because powerful people are discussing them. It, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden all Americans have gone off the conspiracy cliff. And, you know, I would wish that the media would, would have a little bit more restraint in covering these things. I mean, one thing I will say is that most coverage of conspiracy theories, I did a study of this where we looked at thousands and thousands of stories um, on the internet, both blogs and mainstream news sources, 70% of the coverage of conspiracy theories is negative. So the vast majority is negative. So it's not like you're going to get news coverage of conspiracy theories and it will say, hey, check out this Pizzagate thing. There might be something to it. No. You get the exact opposite. They're saying, why the fuck do people believe this? And, and this really, the idea that Trump used it so much um, caught the mainstream media off guard, where we got to a point where the Washington Post ran an article that said, we don't even know how to cover this. That was the title of the article. We don't know how to cover this. They just didn't know what to do, and they've been grappling with it for a long time, because normally you give um, um, a lot of deference to the two candidates. You don't fact check them on the spot. You don't say, he's a liar. But now they're at the point where this, he's just a liar. They've gotten used to it, and they, you know, let's, they're going to call it for, you know, call it for what it is. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, I'm just wondering whether you have an official uh, definition of what a conspiracy is. 
what a conspiracy is? Yeah, an official definition. Yeah, theory, obviously. Yeah, so I, so I opened up with, with definition of conspiracy and conspiracy theory. Um, one thing I'll say about definitions is I try not to get bogged down too much. Like some people love definitional arguments, I don't. Um, if you go across different scholars, they all define the term very, you know, somewhat differently from each other. Um, but to me, it's, it's an accusation that may or may not be true that posits a small group working in secret against the common good for their own benefit in a way that would damage our bedrock institutions. Um, so it would do something big. So that's my working definition. But other scholars have different definitions. And as long as we're upfront about what, what, what our terms mean, that's, that's fine. Um, is it generally possible to trace a conspiracy back theory back to a source, an origin, or can they sometimes be sort of spontaneously generated in more than one place? So I'll give you one example of the spontaneous. So when uh, just Supreme Court Justice Scalia died, I will guarantee that half of Republicans thought Obama killed him. And part of the reason for this isn't, you know, isn't just because they're conspiracy minded, but it was because they had really something to lose there. Because with Scalia leaving and Obama being in power, that was going to change the makeup of the court and give a lot of power to Democrats. And then you had a news report come out the next day that said Scalia was found in his bed with a pillow above his head. Meaning the pillow was here where you find a pillow. <laughs> but people took that to mean the pillow was on his head and the image in their mind was Obama jumped on him with the pillow, <laughs> suffocated him, left the pillow on his head and then scurried out of the room back to Washington, D.C. Um, so I, I will guarantee a lot of people thought that immediately because there was something to be lost there. And it wasn't too hard to come up with that on their own. Once they heard Scalia dead, they were this fucking guy did it, we know it. You know, but there are also information sources that pushed it. Alex Jones pushed it. Donald Trump said, we should really look into this. Um, so sometimes spontaneous, sometimes it's elite-driven. Pizzagate, you can trace that back, I think, to a Reddit page. Um, so there are, there are ones that can get traced. And now you can follow things back pretty well. But you'll see millions of conspiracy theories on, on Twitter. So. Hello. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you said that like um, um, you know, um, um, everybody's got a conspiracy theory in them, and I'm thinking, well, n n n n not me anyway. I, mean, well, I can't think, can't think of any of my God. Anyway, so what's your conspiracy theory? And also, what's the, is one? Is there a conspiracy theory that people people think they don't have it, but they have it? You know? Yeah, because I'm sitting here thinking, well, yeah, what well, am I? <laughs> but obviously, but so why so, do you say that everybody's got one? So, um, <laughs> the one I really got into when I was younger, like I was in high school when Oliver Stone's movie came out, and um, I was like, wow, I'm really into this. Now that I've seen the Oliver Stone JFK movie 50 times, I realize that it's total bullshit. Because like everyone in the country, except for one guy, is in on the plot to kill JFK in the movie. Um, I will say about that movie, though, um, there's only one university mentioned in it, and it's University of Miami. Um, because supposedly, according to Oliver Stone, part of the plot to kill Kennedy was run off of my university. And that, after having worked there for 10 years, is probably true, I can tell you. Um, 
For one that I think about that most people have ignored was during the Obama administration. He had a bunch of conspiracy theories pop up right in the beginning of his second term. And one that, that I think is absolutely true is the IRS targeting conservative groups because that just went on and on and on where they're like, we lost the emails, then we lost the email backup, then we lost the server, then everyone who worked in IT disappeared. And it was just going on over and over and over again. And it was, just, it was just like, we know that you purposely targeted these particular groups and nobody would, would uh, own up to it. And then finally they started bringing people up to testify and they all took the fifth and then retired and got their pensions. So that's, that's one that you know, isn't that far-fetched that I, that, that I think more people should pay attention to. But, yeah. Oh, sorry, gentleman there. Okay, yeah, you mentioned the, the Pizzagate source. Now, I'd heard something about it being maybe from the cesspit of 4chan and it being something like yeah. that it was a code, pizza was a code for child pornography or something yeah. like that, and then some people don't get the joke or something like that, that they didn't, you know, that the reference then took off as being... Yeah, it was on the deep web and then it moved up into Reddit and people were suggesting that when someone said in these democratic emails, do you want to get pizza, what they were really saying was, do you want to have sex with a child? And that's what they believed it to be. And then they got all these emails that said pizza. And they're like, oh my god, look how many ch children they're molesting. And they came up with this whole thing in their mind where they had an underground railroad transporting the kids in. <laughs> then they would get rid of the bones in the pizza ovens of which we're making pizzas. So if you think it's true, don't eat there. Uh, but. It's very reminiscent of what people used to say went on in monasteries just after the Reformation and, and convents that monks and nuns were fornicating through glory holes and then just throwing the babies into pits and things. It's very bizarre. Anyway, that's an aside from me. Yeah, um, just about one, is in, in academia and, and, and just in the left in Britain, you get uh, a lot of people who are Marxists, for example, and, and that's quite a common idea and I might identify it as not. But um, I think it's interesting that they will deny that they could Marxism could be construed as a conspiracy theory, and and I'll and I'll say that if the world is readily um, is is hegemonically understood to be capitalist or even invested in that, and you're saying that there's a ruling class conspiracy to to in ideology to um, to to basically um, dupe the working class, and you're always trying to talk about how the class is being duped, isn't that a conspiracy? So I'm just curious if if people think of and that, that might bring conspiracy theorists who aren't left-wing together. I just think people should acknowledge their conspiracies and how they have a little bit of conspiracy in them, and it allows that conversation to take place, because I think a lot of so-called, the, the ones who are normally class conspiracy theorists are like ostracized from society, and they can't have a conversation. So, so, so nobody believes anything because they think it, it's false, right? And nobody believes anything because they think it could be true, but might not be. Everyone holds beliefs because they say, oh, well, what I believe is true. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's absolutely fact. So um, I don't want to comment on Marxist UK professors because I'm friends with too many of them, and I don't want to be ostracized from the group. Um, but in the US, um, and I've been ostracized enough there, in the US, um, the political parties work in that way. So you have this left party that thinks, you know, people can't get a fair shake in the economy because you have this ruling class of people who controls the economy and they're keeping the regular people down. Um, they're conspiring against us. Um, so we need to do uh, government regulation to stop this from happening. 
And then the right sees that and says, look what the left's trying to do. They're trying to take away our freedoms and control the government and take everything from us um, by using these government measures to take away our freedom. So both sides think the other side is conspiring against them, right? And it happens whether you're far out Marxist, you think, yeah, there's, there's a small group controlling things. You know, the thing that got me during the election is that all the, most reporters are on the left. And when reporters called me, they were saying, you know, what about Trump and all his conspiracy theories? And I said, well, Bernie Sanders got the same amount of support out of, out of the Democratic Party as Trump did. And he had, his whole campaign was based on a conspiracy theory. It was the 1% controls everything. And if you come out, I mean, his speeches, every single speech, he said the word rigged 10 times, except for one speech, which was at the, when he opened the Democratic National Convention because he was not allowed to say rigged. He only said oligarchy. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, who followed him, came out and said rigged five times. She was allowed to. Bernie Sanders wasn't allowed to because it turned out that things maybe were rigged against him. <laughs> But if you think that our entire economic and political systems, our $20 trillion economy, and our massive diffuse political system are controlled by some tiny portion of the population, you're a conspiracy theorist. And that's a much bigger conspiracy theory than saying, I think some illegal people voted, or I think this particular election will be rigged. Because if the 1% controls everything, then who gives a fuck about this one election, right? And they should have been calling him out for his rhetoric, and they wouldn't. Because when I said, why aren't you doing this? Well, that's just critique. That's just economic critique. That's, that's not really a conspiracy theory, and don't you think it's true? And I said, no. 30,000 people don't control a $20 trillion economy. Sorry. Okay, thank you all for behaving so far. Um, <laughs> I hope none of you are secretly fuming inside. Um, Okay, you've already asked a question. There's a gentleman at the back who's asked a question. Anyone else? Anyone who isn't a bloke? Right, so we'll have you, and then you can have the last word, and then we're going to go to the pub. Okay, so I'm just going to walk over here. So if the logical conclusion from this is that Trump can't be a conspiracy theorist because he's part of the elite, do we, do we think, therefore, that his mad ravings on Twitter about fake news aren't real and they're just a very clever political strategy to ally himself to the losers. Yeah, so that's exactly what I think. Um, it's, you know, conspiracy theorists can climb the greasy pole to leadership but it's very difficult to stay there because to keep people motivated by fear for a long period of time is difficult. So w when you step out of the U.S. context and into very different institutional contexts, you will find places like Russia, Cuba, North Korea, where they use conspiracy theories. The rulers use them, um, but they don't just work on their own. You have to have force to back it up. What Trump is going to find over time in a democratic society is now that he's in power, he can't say that everyone's out to get him. He's the freaking president. <laughs> you know? So... Uh, it's, there's going to be a diminishing impact. I mean, all he's really trying to do is to keep his, his supporters with him, and it works to do that. But if you think that he's trying to tell you some sort of truth about the fake New York Times, then, then that's, that's not what his strategy is. It's just to keep speaking the language of his core, of his core supporters. Thank you.
Talking Society. Check us out on Facebook or Twitter, or we have a website. We do all sorts of different talks. Our next one that's available is a, a photographer who's researched British Bigfoot. Um, check us out. Thank you so much, and thanks again, Joseph. Oh, there's me thinking there wouldn't be any excitement this evening. <laughs>